Welcome to PPMD's Living Duchenne, a podcast bringing together community voices to talk about navigating the Duchenne experience. Welcome back to our podcast, Living Duchenne. I'm Rachel Poiskey. I'm your host for Living Duchenne. I am a Duchenne mom and uh, am so excited about our guest today. You are going to be so glad you're here uh, because today we are getting the backstory about how PPMD came to be. And my guests are some just very special ladies who have been mentors for me and encouragers and have guided our community since its inception. So uh, today we have Donna Sacamano, who is a the co-founder of PPMD. She has one son who is 36 with Duchenne and another son who's 32, and she is from New York. And we are so glad that she is here. Welcome, Donna. And we also have our um, other fearless founder, Pat Furlong, who also co-founded PPMD with Donna. And uh, you know a lot about Pat's story. She is um, the wonderful leader of PPMD, even to this day. And I'm excited to have them both here to hear the story. So I'm just going to start with Donna, kind of give us your version of the event of events and then that may have a different version. Okay. Hi everyone. Um, my story is, is, is very simple and I suppose I initiated it um, with my mom coming across a New York times article um, talking about an experimental treatment in Memphis, Tennessee uh, that was underway at the end of the article. Um, Patricia Furlong's name was there and a contact information, a contact number. So I called the number and I was very excited to, to even see such an article shortly after my son was diagnosed. So I called and uh, got Pat on the phone and she began to talk to me about uh, this experimental treatment that was happening in Memphis, myoblast cell transfer. Um, they were having a meeting, sort of a closed meeting that very weekend in Tennessee, and I sort of bullied my way into saying, I'm gonna come. <laughs> so uh, she said, okay. And my husband and I got on a plane and we went there. And actually that was my first encounter with Pat Furlong. Let's, let's have Pat, what, 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 what happened? So this, this mom, crazy mom Donna shows up and uh, you all meet, what, what happened? Take me from there. Cause remember there aren't conferences for Duchenne at this point. Everybody needs to understand Nothing. that. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's no clinical trials. There's not a group of parents to get together. No Facebook. Um, what year was this, Donna, by the way? Um, well, let's see. The Inception of Parents Project, correct me if I'm wrong, is 1995. So it had to be before that, a little before that, maybe a year before. I would okay, say. so early 90s. Yeah. Um, okay, so Pat, take, take it from there. Sure. So my, both of my boys, Christopher and Patrick, were diagnosed with Duchenne. They're, they would be a little bit older than, than both Dean and Thomas. So when, when Donna called me, first of all, I had not spoken to another parent who had a child with Duchenne that was diagnosed. So it was, a, it was such a welcome call because you feel pretty alone. 
And so when I spoke to Donna and we, we talked about this idea, both Donna and I are, are nurses, right? So we had this immediate connection about her nursing career, my nursing career, as it was at that time. And so we did have a little enough biology to understand what the premise of this research would be. The idea behind the research was to use healthy muscle tissue, healthy muscle cells, in fact, myoblasts, which are immature muscle cells, and inject them into a muscle where the cells are not surviving. And with the idea that they would either integrate or replace the cell that was there and degenerating. So that sounded like a reasonable, just because whole organ transplant works. So why not this approach? Well, this made sense. And in fact, it was being supported in a number of institutions around the country, one in California, one in Memphis, Tennessee, and another one in New York. So when Donna called and said, you know, I, I really want to learn more and told me about Thomas, you know, the answer was, this isn't a closed meeting to parents. This was a closed meeting because of the researcher wanted it closed, but I certainly didn't want a closed meeting. And having Donna on the other end of the line made that trip to Memphis even richer because of the fact that we were connected now just by phone. Right. And so you kind of got there and met each other. What, Donna, what was it like to connect with another Duchenne mom? Uh, honestly, uh, when my son was diagnosed, which, which wasn't much before I saw that article, um, you know, as a nurse, uh, I, I, you know, the devastation was ridiculous and, um, meeting the specialists in the field who basically absolutely gave you no future hope, no anything, not even physical therapy, you know, um, I, I was unwilling to accept those answers. Um, so when I read this and that there was something experimental, cer certainly it was, you know, I couldn't wait to get there. Um, and yes, Pat and I had an instant connection in that we both seemed very um, aggressive and, um, and hopeful that, well, you know, it, this just isn't found yet. And there's something we, we need to do to come up with something because this isn't good enough. And then we sort of put our, the research sounded reasonable. It sounded great. And my son was actually a year um, too young for the procedure. So I had to wait till the following year, but Pat's boys um, were, were able to, to be transplanted. And, you know, it was very exciting. And just the thought that I could do something instantly uh, after diagnosis was for me, you know, because I did research and see there was nothing. Um, and I want to say that was the, the most um, exhilarating time because I felt like, okay, I could do something, you know, this is, this is good. So, yeah. So Pat, tell me how you all went from mating to founding PPMD. What, what was that like? Well, as we got down to Memphis, right. And, and worked together, we started asking questions about the procedure, right? Will these cells integrate or will they replace muscle cells? And then just thinking about, how do you treat every single muscle in the body, right? Because this was done by an injection into a small muscle and that's where the research originated from. So as we really thought about it, can you really, is it feasible to think about injecting every single muscle in the body, right? Which, which didn't seem reasonable, um, you know, at the end of the day. And so as we thought about it um, and thought about the complexities here, in addition to the fact that at that time, um, legislation was passed that said, you can't do these cell transfers, regardless of, of who or what kind of cells you're using or on what patient that had to go through the FDA. So that sent Donna and I on a course of, okay, 
we'll go to the FDA, we'll ask the questions. So we didn't see FDA as a barrier at that time. We saw them, you know, we figured out we're going to go speak to them, knowing that the worst thing they could do was refuse to see us and not talk about this, right? So we hired consultants in Washington and we went to the FDA to, to understand what are the requirements to do such a procedure to evaluate its possibility. And so we then went from this research institution in Memphis to the FDA and the NIH to kind of say, how, how does all this come together? So as we began thinking about the questions with regard to the procedure and the biology, we began thinking about what are the pathways to get it through to an approval, right? To get it through a process, should it be viable? So we began putting these steps together and putting all of our questions down. And, and I, the, the thought of starting PPMD was the fact that I think as we investigated the biology, the procedure itself, the viability of the procedure, and then the, the hurdles with regard to trying to get a, a therapy or a potential therapy through the FDA, such as this, we didn't, we came to a wall. We just said to ourselves, this, we, this isn't going to be, this wasn't like in the first week, this took a couple of years for us to look mm -hmm. at this. And once we got there, we kind of said to ourselves together, this is not an easy or viable solution. So at that point, then Donna and I because we ask about nutrition, right? We ask about, because we knew the biology, right? Calcium overload in the cells, causing the cell to degenerate, et cetera, et cetera. So, and we had a gene and a protein product. And so we said to ourselves, what could we do, right? What does nutrition look like? Should we be doing physical therapy? How much exercise is, is too much exercise? Even at the time we ask ourselves, is, does the heart matter, right? Is the heart at risk? And most people said to us, it's not at risk. Turns out we learned different, you know, that's science, right? You learn, you learn things along the way. But so we began asking ourselves questions. We went to the person in, in Memphis who was developing this and said, we, we have greater questions than this. We'd like to think about organizing. We want to start something, right? Start PPMD, start a movement, start something that would, would really accelerate change. We were essentially kicked out of his office with that with that comment. Um, and he said to us, you can't leave this, right? It's either this or nothing. And so we marched out and said, we'll start again. So it sounded like he kind of thought you were a little crazy. <laughs> Donna, were there other people who came against you all and just said, why are you doing this? Why are you starting this? You know, go home and take care of your son. Well, yes, of course. And to, to Pat's speaking of this, I remember um, saying to myself, you know, when we were sort of hit a wall and, and we kind of brought up to him that, you know, there are other things that we need to look at. You know, these aren't lab rats. These are our children. And um, if we see that this isn't going to be something viable for them, we just can't wait for that to happen. We need to look at the next best thing. And I think that's what we both had in common. We didn't just stop with the scientist's view of, um, you know, well, yes, we'll just pursue this and this only. We knew there had to be a wider scope. Um, and, you know, it was scary, very scary, because, you know, we really weren't that knowledgeable in this. Um, we really had no resources to go to who knew more than we knew. In fact, in some of the places that we went and some of the people that we took, we seemed to know more in our little research. We knew where they couldn't receive these injections and why. And it was scary. It was very scary that we were putting our sons at risk in this. And we fundraised quite a bit at that time, you know, um, anyway, we knew how in our small efforts. So, you know, where were we going to get, um, where are we going to get the money to continue, you know, 
where could we put it? So, I mean, that, yeah, there were parents that were more afraid of what we were doing. We looked at it as, I mean, I think we, we looked at the calculated risks and if they would be safe. And what I remember was that, you know, how could we inject every single muscle? But then we thought, well, maybe if we can inject some of the large muscles, we get some function. That's something. So, you know, um, the story was we, we wanted more rocks unturned and which is why we then decided, you know, um, to grow PPMD from there and knew we had to move on. Yeah. I think that's just so amazing. I mean, just look how far we've come from 30 years ago. You know, I mean, that maybe a little more than 30. Um, but I think that it's amazing. I think that's a that's a hope point for families to think about. And I also what I find interesting is you talking about having the educating and knowing more than um, someone. I think we still face that today. I think every parent's had that moment where you're in the room with a doctor or with someone, a physical therapist or someone, and you have this moment where you realize, oh, wait, I'm the expert in the room. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes at that moment, you have to change your mindset and really take over the room. And I know that's something you all both did. Um, Okay, so Pat, talk to me a little bit about when you got to the first conference, to the really gathering people together. What did that look like? Our first conference was held at Robarts Research Institute in Canada. And the reason for that was because the researcher that we left wasn't very happy that we were leaving and starting something on our own and further not directing any money we raised toward that toward that particular um, institution. Right. Because we said we're not we're not giving you money. We are we're going to form something that looks at sort of all shots on goal that explores some of the questions that we have. So by this time, we had been around, created, I think, quite a reputation as two crazy moms that were um, getting crazier every day, perhaps. We were also threatened because there were, you know, bigger institutions suggesting that we were crazy, they, that they, you know, that, that we weren't needed in this space, that you don't need a specific Duchenne muscular dystrophy organization uh, or an organization focused on Duchenne. And that, and then there was therapeutic nihilism, right? Some of the docs we met are there's nothing to do, just go home and love them. And, and, and so we were fighting against a number of negative, you know, you are crazy, you can't do anything, therapeutic nihilism, there's nothing to do. Um, research that was young, really re- young. We had a gene and a protein product um, and there were theories about how you could express dystrophin and theories about how you could, you know, you could deliver a microdystrophin, but, but it was in animal models, maybe, right? Or in ideas in people's heads. So the, the path from in your head to in an animal to a person, as we all know, is, well, we're seeing 30 years, right, to get to gene therapies. So I think Don and I felt considerable pressure, negative pressure against us. And at the same time, we went home and looked at our sons and said, we don't care, you know? So we had met a lot of people. We invited them to a meeting at Robarts Research Institute. They were hesitant to come. We went to, we, we would go to Eric Hoffman's old office at the University of Pittsburgh. And when we went there and said, we're going to have this big meeting, he said, I'm not coming. And then we said, you know, these two, these two researchers that had done the first gene therapy experiment, French Anderson or, or um, Michael ba- Blaise would be coming. One of them would be coming to this meeting. And he looked at us and said, they're not. We said they are, which was more than a little bit of a lie. So we got on a plane and we went out to Pasadena, California, and we sat outside uh, French Anderson's office until he came out and said, listen, um, 
we uh, we are having a meeting. You're coming. We said you were coming, so you have to come. And we just need a couple hours of your time to make a difference. And and so French Anderson, I think he he was a little frightened of us, and said okay. So he came to this meeting in 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 Canada, and he and there were no parents there except Donna and I, and I think two other parents, Brad and Andy, and 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 Jesse's what is now Jesse's Journey. Um, the folks from Jesse's Journey were there, but they didn't bring parents because at the time, you know, John was not very interested in in, in bringing a, having a community of parents where we were. So we had a few parents at Robarts Research Institute. Probably um, there were. I'll say less than 10 of us. And then there was the Canadian group, um, John and his wife were there, um, Jesse's parents. And French Anderson, with all these basic scientists, some of it, there was Steve Hauschka and there's Eric Hoffman and, and um, Terry Partridge and all the people that have you know, published on this early work were all there. And French Anderson walked through the middle of the, the chairs and said, I can cure this in 18 months. And I think Donna and I melted into the wall thinking, because there was almost, it wasn't a physical fight, but you could see the anger in all of these people who started arguing about why you couldn't do such a thing, why this was a stupid idea and a crazy idea because we didn't have enough money for people to work together. We didn't have collaborations. We didn't have the right animal models. We couldn't do it. And they went through this laundry list of, of things that had to be in place for you to make progress. Donna and I wrote them down and that was our business plan. But meanwhile, French Anderson started the argument at which time it was a very interesting think tank discussion about what needs to be put in place. Yeah, Donna, what do you remember about that first well, gathering? Uh, yes, I'd like to add to that. Um, so Pat left out that while we were probably the only two people there, aside from the other two, um, we were not allowed to speak. We had to sit in the back of the room. Um, it, we had to promise them that we were just going to listen because that's how we gained entrance into that room. So of course, you know, we would have done anything. So that's what we did. Um, but what was really pressing in our minds after listening to all of them and like Pat said, the back and forth and the sort of arguments between them was, wow, look at this. Nobody wants to share stuff. No one wants to collaborate. We all have these separate geniuses probably sitting in front of us. And how is this going to be? How are we going to make them look at each other's work and see what's a, what's crossing over. And, you know, it was, it was so heavy on our minds. Like, can we ever get this done with all of these very intelligent scientists, you know, in their own separate fields, how could we do this? And that was our biggest, biggest concern, I think in the beginning and dilemma. And then to boot, we, we couldn't really say anything at that point. You know, we, we just had to sit and watch. Um, but I remember that distinctly how, how that went. Um, and, you know, they all had, and Pat's right. That, you know, these are animal models and we're talking children and it just seemed very difficult. And, and then French Anderson kind of, you know, stepped in and, and agreed that we have to look at everything. They didn't talk about sharing yet then, but, you know, I think that was the inception of we have to get it together and um, help each other. You know? mm -hmm. And you, when you look at today and how researchers are with each other, I mean, it's such, such a great, you know, milestone and steps forward. Well, I think in some ways I see that PPMD forced them to have to work together, that it became a connecting point and access for 
what was happening across the research, you know, that gamut that, that it, you all force them. <laughs> you, it's like you put some two, you know, fighting siblings in a room and force them that they had to play nice and talk together. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a lot of ways. And I, I think that was just, your all's wonderful audacity to do that was great. So I want to fast forward just a little bit to um, how the conference has evolved. I know in the beginning, you know, we got together, it was just, you, you moved to starting with some parents and there weren't very many uh, Duchenne guys and girls there. And uh, so Pat, talk about a little bit how you've seen like our gatherings evolve and the community evolve through all this. I think about six months later, um, after we had the meeting in Canada, we decided that it wasn't enough for, first of all, we didn't like not being able to speak. We felt that that was inaccurate, that we had a role to play. And we were probably, we feel and believe still that we're the major stakeholders here, right? It's our children. And in our case now, these adults who have Duchenne. And so it wasn't like we were the recipient of somebody's goodness. We were the major stakeholder in terms of taking on the risk for our children. So we, about six months later, convened a meeting in Florida. Um, We had a board meeting. By this time, we had an expanded group. We had a board. We were on a board, our own board. And we had a board member who had some ties in Orlando, because keep in mind, we didn't have much money. So he was able to get us a reasonable deal at a hotel. And so we then invited these same investigators. And I think they came then because they were curious, like now what are they up to? Right. So after this big sort of uh, interesting back and forth discussion in Canada. They came in this time, it, we were different from the Canadian group who at the time wasn't involving, uh, it was not involving families. We involve families. So every single family that we had ever met, we invited to Florida. And we then made them present, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Who are you doing it with? to this group of parents. And that started another dialogue. So, and everything we did at that conference involves people that together, right? We ate together. I won't say we slept together, but I'll say we, we ate together. We convened together. We had a, we had a celebration together of our first time being together. And that was the start of our belief that every single year we would hold a conference that would be open to all stakeholders, whether those were parents, grandparents, individuals with Duchenne, Though at the time, I, I, the, the kids didn't come generally, right? They weren't old enough. The parents really wanted to focus their energies and, and um, their minds on what was being delivered. Because keep in mind, we were young in this research. There was not a whole lot. And in terms of care, it was still therapeutic nihilism, nothing to do, right? That we had to still, we knew, Don and I still knew that we had to move the docs to answer simple questions. Are there things we can do? What is exercise? What is nutrition? Um, and the steroid studies were ongoing and, and the data wasn't out. Again, siloing data. And we kept saying, we want to know the data. And this is when we, when we learned anecdotally the data. We learned it from the patients. We contacted the, the families who were in those studies. And we learned, you know, at the time we knew Deflazcourt had, had far less impact on weight and and on behaviors. So we made the decision, right, about what might be and started the need to data to collect data and share data. So that that was the first that was the first community led conference, if you will, that we held in Florida so many years back. Donna, what do you think the benefit for the families coming together? Because I know there's some families out here listening and they have a wide community of Duchenne parents and there's some who may not know a single Duchenne parent. So what, like over the years, what has the community meant to you? Well, I have to say that um, 
you know, fortunately I found Pat as a friend, as a mentor, as a partner. Um, and I, I don't know what it would have been like if I didn't find someone at that time of diagnosis. You know, I think just everything was in my favor at that point. But when I do look back on what we had available and our limited knowledge and resources, it's really horrible. And every conference, I sit back for a moment and I just want to say how fortunate parents are that this exists because nothing scarier than facing what we faced alone, no resources, no doctors, no anything, you know? Um, so when I look at the community of parents that attend now, I want to say you're, you know, I don't want to say now is the time to have a, sh a child with Duchenne, but if you do, this is prime time where you have parents as families and mentors and friends. And it's, it's, it's an unbelievable gift, actually, if you have a son with Duchenne now compared to what Pat and I had. Um, it, was, it was a horrible time, but now it's, it's, it's so much better and it's so valuable. The, the, um, the resources available, the knowledge, the science. Um, we couldn't walk up to a scientist and strike up a conversation with them at that time. You know, parents at these conferences could walk up to anyone and have a conversation and, and, they're, and they're welcoming mm -hmm. to them. So that's, I suppose, the biggest thing. So that's why it's important. Everyone's afraid of diagnosis. Everyone is fearful of diagnosis. Um, and I often said to parents I spoke to early on, you really just have two choices here. You ha can dig a hole and jump in, or you have this community in front of you, you know, go for it because you're going to get what you need here. Yeah. I would, you know, I have a beautiful picture. Well, let me first by saying I joined probably 12, 13, 14 years after you all. And even then when we went to the conference, say 2007, uh, a lot of people, we were still talking in theories, right? This could happen if we do this, if we do that. And I remember walking out so discouraged. I thought, Wow. And then for parents to come now and see all these clinical trials. I mean, yes. I wish I wish they could be a fly. I wish we had the early years so they could see because I think that's such an encouragement. Yeah. And another picture that has just been, a, I think, for me is such a picture of what you're saying, Donna, is I remember a conference. I don't know. I, I, with COVID time, I have no idea what year it was, but yeah. <laughs> it was sometime after 2010, for sure. But um, at one conference, we had the boys and the scientists, and they were playing a wheelchair relay race. Do you remember mm -hmm. that? Yes. And that was such a beautiful moment, yeah. because I think that's another powerful part of this is when the scientists, when the researchers, when the doctors come, and they see the boys outside of the lab, they see the cells outside of the lab, they see the boys outside of the doctor's office. It's a different thing. And it gives them more motivation to work because these aren't just nameless things. They are faces and that are fighting. So I think that's a great thing that Duchenne has done and has set really a precedent. Um, PPMD has done is really set the precedent for other rare diseases and other communities to say, okay, we can take a very active role in um, in our child's care and moving moving the dial forward. So uh, we've talked about so many things. I want to ask you both this, Pat, if you look back on that time when you walked into Canada 30, 30 plus years ago, what do you want to tell that person? What do you want to tell you today? Boy, that's a big question. I, I, I think 
what I'd like to say to that person is you'll be okay and your family will be okay. Because the diagnosis of Duchenne is pretty overwhelming and to get your head wrapped around it, it doesn't feel like anything's ever going to be okay and you'll never find a reason to smile. So I think that I would like to reassure me that fight is worthwhile, be aggressive, be proactive, drive this field forward, but you're gonna be okay in all of this. And so art is your family. Donna, what would you say walking in to that person walking in? You know, I've always been, um, I've always been a fighter in pretty much everything I do in the forefront of things. And so I would, I would want to say like, stay in this mode, you know, don't let the disease get the best of you. Um, there's more to learn, there's more to come and there's more to do. So, um, you know, uh, Keep positive uh, and, and keep striving for more because, you know, your children are the motivating force and looking at them, um, you know, is, is really what would motivate me to say, this is why I need to do this and not, and not stop. Okay. Now we're going to jump to the future. Where do you want to see the landscape of Duchenne 30 years from now, Pat? 30 years from now, I'm hoping we have widespread newborn, newborn screening. I am hopeful that we will pick up every diagnosis, not only of the individual who's diagnosed, but also the female that it has the dystrophinopathy, a variation, a variant, um, so that, so that a women can have choices about their, their um, next steps and their reproductive options. And I think that for young men that are diagnosed with Duchenne, I would like to, first of all, have them land in a certified Duchenne care center. So they receive and are in experienced hand and then options to receive a therapy that preserves and protects their muscle function so that they grow up and grow old and are able to reach whatever dream they wish. So that's what I think in 30 years will, will be possible and certainly will be here. Donna? In 30 years, I want to see a commercial like cystic fibrosis that they've come up with a drug where they need to take this and add, in a week or so, they're feeling much better and they can live better lives. I want to see that there's some treatment, some initial treatment uh, for newborns, for um, children already, young children with, already with the disease. And, and as having an older son, I want to see something that they've come up with that says, okay, you know, you've gone through this disease, you're at this age, and we can give you something that at least extend your life and give you quality of life where, you know, um, it's going to be meaningful to you. Um, I want to see always that care is the primary uh, consideration with insurance companies, with, um, with therapists, with doctors. I feel like that's not across the board. Not everybody, you know, you, you see a, a, a terminal disease and you, and you think that care, you know, stops somewhere. My son is 36 and care never stops. You know, new innovative things that we come up for him never stop. Um, and you need to translate this to the physicians working with them, um, that that's always primary because they need to go on, on the day and day, the day to day. I want to see a doctor walk in who has Duchenne, who tells a family with a young little boy, look what I'm doing and you are going to be okay. That's what I want. Uh, I think that is the magic yeah. we're hopeful for. That right. is the magic world. That's the magic we're hopeful for. Yeah. All right. One last question that I have. Well, actually, you know what? I want to ask one more question before I ask my last question, because I think this is important. You found, you found each other and you found a purpose. 
Can you talk to those moms and dads and grandparents out there? What do you want to say about them finding each other and finding a purpose? Pat? First of all, I think we're here on this earth for a period of time, however short or long that would be. And, and I think for me, having a purpose, having a drive for something I'm incredibly passionate about, for lives that matter to me, for lives that deserve incredible quality of life, whether that be a newborn, whether that be a a young man who's losing ambulation, whether that be Thomas at 36 should have robotics, that he can do whatever he wants to do with and opportunities for a job, right? I, I think to be able to, at the end of the day, say that one thing or something I did helped one person, helped do something, achieve something, it makes all the difference in the world. You know, when I look back and say, if you didn't have Duchenne, what would your life have been like? I don't know. I don't know. And I will never say I'm glad that I had Duchenne. I don't think that's a fair statement. But I will say that having an opportunity in this disease to help move this field forward, to achieve whatever it is that we can for this community has been an incredible gift to me. So I find passion, drive, and results really make life better. Donna? I I guess what I want to say is, those people involved with Duchenne, with family members or friends with Duchenne, um, I feel like they bring so much to others, just in general, um, appreciating life, appreciating life day to day with having a child. Um, it gives you a better appreciation of almost everything. And I think if you could relay that to someone else, whether it be in the Duchenne community or not, there's something very empowering about that, that you made a difference today in your child's life by something you did, no matter what that might be. I think it gives you power, gave me power to want to continue to, to want to help others, to want to be positive in this. I think also, you know, when we um, fight and try, we show that to our sons for our daughters. And um, that gives them an example. And I think that's a very important thing too, how we are navigating this journey, um, especially because our, you know, there are boys and girls are living longer, they're being productive. And, and so how do we navigate helping them um, fight through the challenges. And I think you both are such examples of how you fought through the challenges of Duchenne to make it a better world for everyone living with Duchenne. So, all right, now my final question. This question is the one we ask every time. What do you know to be true about living Duchenne? Pat, do you want to start? What do I know to be true about living Duchenne? I know that living Duchenne is not the end of a world, but the beginning of a new world and one that has beauty and grace and opportunity and power. Donna? truth is, I don't know any other way to live <laughs> without <laughs> Shishan. That's the truth. Um, but I do know my life is different than most because the puzzles that I figure out every day require a lot of thought, a lot of patience, uh, a lot of stamina. Um, and I know that that's what living with Duchenne brings you. It brings you to a creative side Um, something you never imagined you would have to look at and do from the very simplest thing to a very difficult thing. And, you know, I think that's inspiring. I, I, it it challenges me every day. Well, thank you both. Um, I, I know I speak for the entire community when I say 
thank you for what you did all those years ago when you wouldn't take no for an answer, when you lied your way through appointments, when you flew across the world to get answers and to force people to be in the same room and make connections. Uh, We all are grateful. We all stand on your shoulders. And I hope that you know that and that you feel proud of all you have done. So thank you for taking a little bit of time to uh, speak with me and to just share some of the story of how it all began. And we continue to be grateful for you both. And for all you listening, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you again next time on Living Duchenne.